Let us pray. Father, we come again to your holy scriptures to once again ponder upon what you have to say in our lives. Father, your words are not just words, but they have a claim upon our lives because we are made for you and by you. So Father, as we come right now to engage you in your scriptures, we pray that you will claim us back to you, that we may be of use for your kingdom's sake. So Father, take your word and make it alive in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. In 1837, Hans Christian Andersen wrote a little story called The Little Merman. Many years later, Disney is going to rewrite the whole story and gives it a positive romantic uh, feel. But the original version is much darker and much more heartbreaking than Disney's version. The original Little Mermaid revolves around a little mermaid that lives in an underworld kingdom, underwater kingdom. When this mermaid turns, uh, turned 15 years old, she gets a chance to visit the world out there. And when the little mermaid came up to see this world out there, she saw a ship, a beautiful ship with a prince on top of the ship celebrating his birthday. And when the little mermaid saw this prince, she immediately fell in love with the prince. And then a violent storm came, knocked down the ship, the ship sank, and the little mermaid come, came to save the prince's life and dragged this unconscious prince onto the shore. He, she waited for him to wake up from the, his unconsciousness. But unfortunately, he did not wake up in time. So to her dismay, the prince never saw the little mermaid or knew who saved his life. The little mermaid longed for this prince. So she visits the sea witch. She asks the sea witch for help. And the sea witch says, I will give you a portion to drink. When you drink this portion, your tail will be gone but you and you will have legs just like human beings. But there is a price to pay because every time when you dance or when you walk with your legs, it will be like knives piercing through your body. And in exchange for those human legs, you will lose your voice. Your beautiful singing voice will be gone and you will be a mute. And there is another condition. You need to fall in love with the prince and marry him. And when you do that, part of his soul will flow into yours and you will live. Otherwise, the very first day after he gets married to someone else, your heart will not only be broken, but you will dissolve into the sea in like, upon the waves like bubbles. And the little mermaid agreed to those conditions and she drank the portion and became a human being. She swims to the castle where the prince lived and she struck out a relationship with the prince. They became good friends and the prince was enamored by her and they began to do things together until the very moment when the prince received orders that he had to get married. And the prince's parents already designated whom he should marry and was not the little mermaid, was a princess from another area. And the prince, instead of going and fighting for the little mermaid, 
decided to go with his parents' orders. So when the prince told the little mermaid his decision, the little mermaid was heartbroken. The prince and the princess had their wedding and they were celebrating on a ship by the sea and little mermaid's heart breaks when, uh, broke when she saw how they were celebrating in bliss. She thought about everything that she had ever sacrificed, all the pain that she had endured for the prince and she only knew that death awaits her, that she will be dissolved the next morning and become like the foam in the sea. But then the little mermaids, uh, her sisters came to the little mermaid and says, We have got you a knife and we have made a pact with the sea witch again that if you were to kill the prince tonight, you will be able to become a little mermaid again and you will live with us once again in the ocean. So the little mermaid gets on the knife and, and that night came to the prince while the prince was sleeping and she wanted to kill the prince but love overwhelmed her and she couldn't do bring herself to kill the prince. The next morning just as the sea witch had prophesied, as the morning broke, she jumped into the water and she became nothing but bubbles and foam floating on the water. She was of no more. When Hans Christian Andersen wrote this story, it was not just to break the hearts of die-hard romantics. Rather, he wrote this story to make a statement. And the statement is this, we are like the prince we don't like changes. We don't like to go against the system. We're like the prince. Despite all the sacrifices the little maid may make, it doesn't make any difference. We would rather play safe. We would rather go through life with the least conveniences. We would rather take the path most traveled. This is why the, corona, the, the coronavirus pandemic scares us. Because for the first time in history, we are forced on a limb. For the first time in history, we are living lives that are not safe. For the first time in history, people are fighting over toilet paper. For the first time in Australian history, churches are empty on a Sunday. For the first time in a long while, there is no remedy for a flu-like disease. We don't like it. We don't like changes. We don't like lives, little inconveniences. This happened in the times of Ezra too. Times were changing for God's people in the Old Testament book of Ezra. Because God was moving, doing a new thing. And the people around the Jews hated it. They don't like to fight the system. They don't like changes. They're like the prince. I want to do what is the, uh, the, least con uh, the, the most convenient way. I don't want to deviate. I don't want to take the route of faith. I want what I know best. The people around them were a little bit nervous because God was doing a new thing. God was stirring the hearts of a foreign king to allow his people to return from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Then the returning Jews not only returned, but they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. 
they built an altar and now they've laid down the foundation of the temple ready to build the temple imagine if you were the neighbors at this time suddenly out of the blue as they were living in peace suddenly out of the blue there was this group of foreign people coming back to your neighborhood and they're claiming that their God is so powerful that he can stir the hearts of foreign kings especially the great Persian king and now they're all taking about talking about taking over your land they're talking about building their own temple in your land and they're doing all these kind of strange celebrations sacrifices how does that make you feel we don't like it we don't like changes just like the coronavirus pandemic we don't like it we don't like the fact that we can't find toilet paper anymore we don't like it that our lives are changed and we're no longer in control the things are going south why at the root problem of fear is idolatry at the root problem why these neighbors dislike the returning Jews is because of idolatry now the neighbors couldn't do things the way they like it the way they have done all their lives now they have to change so when they realize that the Jews did not want them to be part of their building project we read in Ezra chapter 4 verse 4 that they set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. Why are we afraid of the coronavirus pandemic? Because of idolatry. We love being in control. We're just like the neighbors in Ezra's time. We want to be in control. We want to know when our paycheck will come. We want to know that we can have power over curing any illnesses that comes our way. We want to know that our grocery stores are all packed to the toilet paper with one. We want. It's the idol of control that gets us upset and worried. But the neighbors of the Jews did not leave it this, that way. Since they couldn't get their way done, they now decided to oppose the Jews. So in Esther chapter 4 verses 6 to 24, they lodged two complaints across time to the two various kings of Persia. I want to spend our time this morning looking at the second letter that they sent to the Persian king in detail. I want to look at this letter to see how idols work, how idols function to bring fear and discouragements to us in our times of changes and in our times of changes. Two ways. Two ways in which idols work in our lives. Number one, idols magnify the problems we are facing. We need to understand that most of our Old Testament is written in Hebrew. But there are only three sections in the Old Testament that's written in Aramaic the official written language of the Persian Empire. The three sections are, one of them is in Daniel, from Daniel chapter 2 verse 4 until chapter 7 verse 28. And the other two are in Ezra. Here in the Ezra from chapter 4 verse 9 to chapter 6 verse 18, and later on in Ezra, Ezra chapter 7 verses 12 to 26. 
They're written in Aramaic because this whole section is addressed to the Persian kings. So because the, the neighbors were unhappy with the Jews returning, because their conveniences, their way of life have been disturbed, they decided to write a letter to interrogate the Jews. And they addressed this letter to the king. So in verse 9, we're told who the people writing the letters were. Rahum, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, uh, the secretary, together with the rest of the associates, the judges, officials, and administrators over the people from Persia, Iraq, and Babylon, and the Elamites of Susa, and the other people from the great and honorable Ashurbanipal, deported and settled in the city of Samaria and elsewhere in the trans-Euphrates. So, the, these verses here describe who is sending out this letter, who's making the complaint. And this complaint is led by two individuals called Rahum and Shimshai. Rahum and Shimshai claimed that all the judges, all the officials, all the administration, the entire Persian Empire, all the way from Persia to Samaria, are opposing God's work and opposing the Jews. Clearly, this is an exaggeration. But that's not all. In verse 12, they tell the king that they should stop the Jews from building Jerusalem because they are a rebellious and wicked city. And then in verse 13, if the Jews were to build the city, they say, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid. If you read verse 13 in Aramaic, you'll find that they use three different Aramaic words to describe taxation. This is Rahum and Shimshai's way of telling the king, if you let these Jews build this temple, if you let them get their way, if you let them prosper, they will not pay you any form of taxation. And they list three different forms of taxation. They're telling the king, don't let these people prosper, because if you do, you won't get your money. It's interesting that Rahman and Shimshai used withholding of taxation as the alleged reason for the king to stop the Jews from building Jerusalem. Why do I say that? Money is a big idol to the Persian kings. One of the Persian kings by the name of Xerxes loved war. Throughout Xerxes' reign, he was always constantly embattling the neighbors embarking in large-scale battles. And these battles were extremely expensive. So when King Xerxes died, the kingdom of Persia was in great financial debt. And his son Artaxerxes took over, and by when he took over, he was already in very deep financial straits. So for any kingdom, for any small provinces to say that they were withholding tax from the Persians is a grave, grave sin. And so uh, here, Rahab and Shinshai knew how to play the cards well. They say that if you allow these Jews to rebuild your kingdom, old Persian king, you will not receive the money that you so need. Idols have a way of exaggerating the problems and the situation and making it worse than it is. 
because of the idol wanting to be in control, Rahum and Shimshai sound like they were much bigger than they actually were. They, they, they say that they represent the entire Persian Empire and more. Idols make us, that makes uh, Shimshai and uh, uh, Rahum uh, wanting to be in control make Jerusalem sound worse than it actually was. They say that Jerusalem was a rebellious and a wicked city. Because of the idol wanting to be in control, Rahum and Shinshah paying the alleged lie that the Jews were withholding taxation from the Persian kings. Idols have a way of making the situation worse than it actually is. The Jews were actually not that bad. But because of the idol of want to be right, Rahum and Shinshai made the situation look even worse. And that's what idolatry does to us. When we put something more important than God, what Satan does with an idol is that he allows the idol to be so big that once when we don't have it, it feels like the end of the world. There are many people who treat money as an idol. And once when their income is being curtailed, what happens? They think that it's, it, will, it will kill them because now they don't have the money that you, they need. But sometimes what idols do, idols do is that they exaggerate the situation. No, you won't die. You won't die if you if you do not if you if, uh, by owning a smaller car by owning a, a smaller house. No, you won't die. But idolatry, what Satan does with idols, is it exaggerates and says your life depends upon it. Researcher Lucas Lafell says that when we face a situation when we are fearful, we often make the situation much worse than it actually is. And that's what idolatry does. And, and that's how worry starts. We start to worry about things that never happen. So Dr. LaFell asked participants in his research to record their worries that they have at night, before they go to sleep at night at 10 p.m., let's say. And then 20 days later after the period, he interviewed every of those respondents to, to find out whether their worries have come true. The research that Dr. LaFell had conducted has, uh, uh, is this. He found out after surveying all these people who worry, and he found out that 91.4% of worries actually never happen. Idols have a way of making the problem sound bigger than it actually is, worse than it actually is. Secondly, how do idols work in our lives? Idols diminish the grace of our God in our lives. Idols diminish the grace of God in our lives. In verse 14, Rahum and Shimshai claim that doing all this because they are under obligation to the palace. That's what verse 14 says. They are under obligation to the palace. Literally from the Aramaic, it says that they actually eat the salt of the palace. That means that they, they claim that they're so loyal to the Persian king that they eat the same salt from the table of the Persian king. This is in stark contrast to the prophet Daniel. 
Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 refused to eat from the king's table. But here is Raham and Shinshad who feed on, who lived off the salt of the palace. And when you eat off the Persian king's palace, when you eat off the enemy's table, when you eat off the table of the world, what happens to us is that you will never know the grace of God. If all your spiritual food is what this world feeds you, you will only see what this world provides. You will never see the grace of God. And this is what happens to them. Verse 15. They further malign the people of God. Is now, since we are under obligation to the palace, since we eat the salt of the palace, it is no longer proper for us to see the king dishonored. And we are sending this message to inform the king so that a search may be made in the archives of our predecessors. In these records, you will find that this city, Jerusalem, is a rebellious city troublesome to kings and provinces, a place with a long, long history of sedition. That is why the city was destroyed. We informed the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are being restored, you'll be left with nothing in the trans-Euphrates. Rahim and Shinshai tell the kings that go search the archives and you will be able to see how rebellious Jerusalem is, how troublesome they are, how seditious their history have been. And this is what Satan does with idolatry. I, if you feed off the salt of this world, all you will see is our failures, our sins, and what's lacking. The more you worship money, the more you will see how much you lack the areas that, that still do not satisfy. If you worship a, a, a material wealth like a car, having a Holden will not be enough. And you begin to see the lack. I need a Mercedes, not a Holden. If you worship sex as your God, you will want more and more of porn, more and more of it every day. Yesterday's pond is not enough to feed today's need. If you worship Pa, no promotion will ever be enough. Even though you are high up in the executive level, no, I want to be the chairman. I have to be on top. Idols only remind us of our lack. It will not remind us of the grace and the blessing of God. They don't help see the grace and blessing of God. All Raham and Shimshai saw in the history of God's people are their failures, their lack, their rebellious ways, their sins. But they never once mentioned the grace of God and how God led His people, the great blessings that God had on His people, the people that God had raised like Daniel, who not only did not rebel against the Babylonians, but was a was somebody important in the Babylonian Empire and was a blessing to the kingdom. Shimshai and Raham did not see that. They did not see God's grace through Esther, who not only became a queen to Xerxes, the king of Persia, but she even saved her own people. They did not remember Nehemiah, who served as a cupbearer to the king. They were not seditious. They were 
people that brought blessings to the Persian Empire. Idols don't allow us to see God's grace, only the hurts, the lack, the sins in our life. So what is needed? We need a Savior. First, we need a Savior. A Savior so that our taste buds will change, so that we will not long for the salt of the palace not the salt of this world that will feed us. The more you feed yourself with the salt of this world, the more thirsty you will become. The more hungry you will become. The more dissatisfied you will become. The idols of this world have a way of making us hunger for the wrong things that lead to death and destruction. We need a saviour to change our taste buds so that our hunger will be for God and for His Word. We need the Gospel so that we can become like a Daniel who refuses to be fed from the the Babylonian king's table. We need Jesus. Secondly, we need to count God's blessings. Satan and the idols of this world have a way to help us see the lack, see the sins, the failures of our lives, that we become very depressed, especially in this coronavirus pandemic, when our life circumstances change, when jobs become scarce, when our movements become limited. In such moments, when lives change, it's easy to get disappointed. It's easy to see the lack. It's easy to see the things that we missed. But joy comes when we see God's grace, when we start to count God's blessings and God's goodness. Don't be like Raham and Shimshai when they only saw failures but not the grace of God. I was reading the life of Jack Hinton. Jack Hinton was a U.S. pastor who served in a suburban church for years. Pastor Jack had always preached to his congregation about missions and evangelism, but he never really was involved outside his own community. So one day God challenged him that he should leave the comforts of his uh, suburban life and community and do perhaps a short-term mission. So Pastor Jack, together with uh, a small team of his uh, church members, decided to go to a leper colony in the island of Tobago. Tobago uh, uh, had this leper community that uh, Pastor Jack and his uh, team visited. And uh, when they first went to this leper community, Pastor Jack was shocked to his core at how leprosy had taken this effect on the people. But nothing shocked him more than on one Sunday morning. Pastor Jack was supposed to preach in the little church there in the community. And he was getting ready uh, to lead the service for worship. And was choosing the hymns, getting the service order and ready. And just then, as he was getting the hymns prepared and choosing the hymns, there was a lady with her back turned uh, towards Tim who said, 
Pastor, 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 can we sing the hymn Count Your Many Blessings? And the past and Pastor Jack says, Of course we can sing that hymn. Let me find the hymn for our pianist. And the lady was really excited uh, that they were going to sing Count Your Many Blessings. So she immediately turned her back towards Pastor Jack in order to say thank you to Pastor Jack. But when the lady turned her back and began to face Pastor Jack, Pastor Jack almost fainted. Guess what he saw? He saw this lady who was a leper. She had the most hideous face he had ever seen. Her nose, her ears were entirely gone. It was as if she stepped out of a horror movie. And it was not so much to make fun of her, but he was seriously shocked. He was so shocked that he couldn't even utter a single word when this lady was standing in front of him, facing him. And this lady was filled with joy despite her face, despite the def deformity that she had on her face. She was filled with joy and she kept dancing and she says, Oh good, we are proving, I'm singing count your many blessings. Let's praise God together this morning. She was doing her samba dance to count your many blessings. When Pastor Jack saw what was happening in front of him, he just broke down. Here was a lady deformed, face almost gone, nose gone, ears rotten. She looked hideous and yet she was dancing in front of him, singing, count your many blessings. Idolatry will not make you do that. It's the grace of God that is broken into our lives that will get you out of your seats despite leprosy, despite the worst condition, despite the most hideous situation, we can still get up, we can still dance the samba dance and we can still shake our hips and sing to the loudest voice, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Only somebody touched by the Savior and the gospel that he died for can do that. In this age of the coronavirus pandemic, let's get up and count our blessings. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you have spoken again this morning to our hearts. Father, we want to thank you that you have delivered us from idols. You deliver us from the clutches of idolatry that Satan has often used to make us bitter, to make us complainers, to make us uh, angry, to make us uh, lodge letters of complaint just like uh, uh, Rahamd and Shimshai and doing all these evil things against your people. Because deep in our hearts, we want to be in control. We do not want inconvenience. We do not want to walk in faith. We want to walk by sight. We want to walk by the world's ways. And when we are challenged, Father, we exaggerate the situation 
and we never looked for your grace. So, Father, we just want to pray that you will deliver us from idols, that, Father, you will rebuke Satan, that, indeed, we will run to the cross right now, to Jesus Christ who died for our sins, and make him again the Lord of our lives, that he will rescue us from the clutches of idolatry, that we may look to you. Father, there may be many things we have lost over this pandemic. Some of us may have lost our jobs. Some of us may have our future blurred. Some of us may have family members who are sick because of this pandemic. Father, we just want to pray that even in the midst of all these difficult times, Father, our hope is not in the idols of this world because they will let us down, but our hope is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, may we be like this leprous woman who can still dance and shake her hips and sing to the loudest of all of her voices, to loudest of her voice, to sing, count your many blessings. Father, let us do that. Father, as a church, let us shout your blessings. Count them one by one this morning. Spirit, come do your work of redemption again in our hearts. Bring us, Lord God, to you and help us again to see that with you we have everything and we can count our blessings. In Jesus' name, Amen.